Blog Talk Radio. The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make it better. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Blog Talk Radio, and uh, we love having you show up for this show, and I just love doing this show. I love the people I have on here and the discussions we're able to have, and I think the whole thing is just uh, really helpful to all of us as Christians to help us think through our place in the world. What is our place in the world? Um, are we just uh, waiting for the Lord to come back and twiddling our thumbs, uh, trying to stay out of trouble? You know, are we uh, are we involved? Are we involved in the culture? Um, and to what extent uh, is that involvement entail? And and for what purpose? There's a lot of questions that have to do with um, what do we do? I, for one, uh, hold that we need to be in the world but not of the world. And uh, that means we need to be in, in it and involved in it. And uh, we have a guest today who uh, who has been uh, in the world and uh both the secular world and and what we might call the the Christian world subculture um but uh in fact we're going to talk about some of that today um I'm anxious to to have some of this comments in fact we were just getting into a very interesting conversation about that when we were waiting for uh the top of the hour to come and uh, so we'll have to we'll just have to continue that conversation later but Right now, um, I want you to meet an, an incredible musician, uh, friend. I don't know whether we would call him a pastor. We can talk about that. He can talk about that. Um, but uh, uh, he has uh, had quite a career in music, plays numerous instruments. We'll find out more about that. But... Uh, uh, we're very fortunate to have as our guest uh, tonight, uh, Larry Larry Myers. So uh, I want you to enjoy this interview, uh, listen up, uh, and Larry, uh, I'd like to welcome you to Blog Talk Radio. Hey, John, thank you so much. Thanks for inviting yeah. me to come on with you and have a conversation. And hi to all of your listeners out there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, Larry, we've been talking a lot at the catch here uh, about the Jesus movement, and it seems like we aren't the only ones, you know, with the movie 
Jesus Revolution going on, and uh, there was another movie before that. I can't even remember what it was, but then there's the uh, Love Song has been working on a documentary. That's where I last saw you. Um, and, uh, you know, so, you know, it probably probably coincides with the fact that it's been somewhere around 50 years before between uh, when the Jesus movement was was really rolling and now. And so maybe it's just time for people to revisit this. And we've been talking a lot about it. So I, I wanted to kind of start there with you and find out uh, how, you know, I know <clears throat> you're, you're not quite as old as I am, I don't think. But uh, I, uh, I uh, don't, don't bet on that one. Uh, <laughs> I'm just wondering how, how much of the Jesus movement did you did you experience, and where were you well, during I, that? Yeah, I experienced pretty much all of it. I was uh, I, I had become a pretty serious follower of Jesus when I was in high school here in Southern California. And uh, went on to Long Beach State. I started at university in 64, was there from 64 to 68, and got involved. Uh, Campus Crusade did not have a, a chapter on our campus when I started there. And then they did come and, and uh, started a, a, a chapter of Campus Crusade at Long Beach State. While I was a student, I became a student leader there. Huh. And we, I was very involved with Crusade for those years, probably about two and a half years. And uh, one of the one of the highlight memories is Timothy Leary came to our campus oh, wow. uh, one time, and uh, one of our one of our people that was involved with us was the editor of the student newspaper, which is a very influential position on campus. Uh-huh. And he got wind of this uh, and told us about it. We we organized actually a protest. Campus Crusade was never a political organization, but we felt like this was really – he was – Timothy Leary was coming talking about spiritual things. And uh-huh. he, one of his ideas was that LSD was a means of greater spiritual enlightenment. And right. so – we made our presence known and and uh, kind of protested that idea. And actually, I know of at least one person who was in the in the audience that afternoon. It was out in the student uh, outdoors, and one person came to Christ as a result of that. And who knows what the overall influence of that was? But so hmm. we were aware of all of the kind of stuff that was going on up and down the state. Uh, Campus Crusade had a very powerful group at Berkeley called the, I think it was called the New World Liberation Front or something like that. Christian, yes, no, I was up there. It was the Christian World Liberation Front. And it was Jack Sparks was in charge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Those guys were very dynamic. They were. And then, of course, all the music that was going on. And then at the Jesus movie, the Jesus uh, movement, per se, hadn't officially started yet, although I think Campus Crusade laid a groundwork for it because every Easter vacation, uh, 
in, in those days, the college students would converge on Balboa Island and Newport Beach area by the thousands. Huh. And so Campus Crusade been a lot of Christians over there to witness on the beaches. Uh-huh. We did music programs evening. And I've always thought, although I've never heard anybody else talk about it, I've always thought that there was a lot of sowing in the spirit during those uh, during those weak uh, evangelistic uh, movements. Yeah. But then I graduated and went on to Dallas Seminary uh, and began there in 1968. And while I was there, uh, people were starting to come to Christ in, in huge numbers. Uh, the whole thing that happened at Calvary Chapel yeah. emerged, and the music scene out of Calvary Chapel, uh, where they were doing concerts, Saturday night concerts, was the one of the primary draws of thousands of young men and women coming, students and so forth, hippies, people off the streets were drawn yep. to the music because it was uh it was just such great music and inspiring yeah. and full of messages. You know the 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 people that became Christ followers during that time as a result of the of the Holy Spirit moving so powerfully they came to Christ and had powerful conversion experiences, and many of them were already pretty good songwriters, if not great songwriters oh. and music. And it was normal for them to just begin to write music that would express this new experience they were having uh, in in their relationship with Christ and with each other, and being becoming part of of a community of people that believed in Jesus and wanted to, and and were experiencing his love for the first time. They were experiencing love in a community for the first time, and they began writing songs about it. And that, those songs became kind of the music of the Jesus movement. Um, You know, as the, so many of the bands, the the so-called secular band, you know, we've, we've kind of wrestled in the Christian world for maybe centuries over this dichotomy between secular and Christian yeah. art. Yeah. And and really all art ultimately emanates from God. And I suppose if you get to a form of art that really we would consider decadent, that portrays promiscuity, that portrays adultery, that portrays out and out sin, that that certainly would be considered secular art. But there were so many musicians that we all know and remember, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, James yeah. Taylor, Bob Dylan, and the list goes on and on and on, sure. who were writing songs about love and peace and justice, uh, uh, civil rights, mm-hmm. all of those kinds of themes, major themes, and writing, writing songs about them uh, from a perspective that we all agreed with. Even you know, even we who yes. were followers of Christ agreed yes. with those they were saying. And so the Christians began writing songs about a lot of the similar subjects, and and putting putting that stuff out there, but more from a, a more of a biblical perspective. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was kind of the heart of what became known as the Jesus movement, as right. as people all across the all across the country, if not all around the world, became interested in Jesus. Yes. Uh, you know there there was a there was a huge, especially in 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 the United States. And I think in Europe, there, there became a, a tremendous curiosity about the Eastern religions, about Hinduism and Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people became infatuated with those ideas and those thoughts and became, a lot of them became followers of the, the Eastern gurus. Um, and as a result of that, people then began to kind of reexamine Jesus. Who was he? Who was this? Yeah. Who was this man called Jesus? Because of of the amazing things that were said about him in the Bible, and uh, and so a, a lot of the people that had followed after the Eastern gurus encountered Jesus and found that there was something unique about him, and chose to follow him and gave their lives and their hearts mm-hmm. to this man Jesus. Right. And uh, so, anyway. Wow. That's cool. Now, you were just during this time, and you really surprised me. I, uh, You might even be older than me. I don't know. I mean, it, <laughs> you started well, seminary, truth, and I still had one more year in college. Did you get yeah, ahead? Truth be told, truth be told, I'm 76. Okay. Well, that's I'll be exactly in October. Okay. All right. I'm you're you're older than I am. Yeah. <laughs> by half by half a year, I'll be uh, I'll be it, uh, I'll be 77 next May. So yeah, we're about six oh, months okay. apart. Yeah, you're a few months behind. Yeah, you you surprised me on that. So, I, just, I had you as a young whippersnapper, Larry. <laughs> so oh, it's all smoke, smoke and mirrors, and a little makeup yeah. here and there, you know. <laughs> um, now, when did you, when did you start doing music? I mean, were you doing music during this time, or did that come later? Well, I was playing music uh, most of my life. Not professionally, but I was playing in uh, mostly strings. Started playing ukulele when I was about five years old, and then guitar when I started high school. Uh-huh. And then uh, mandolin. I fell, fell in love with mandolin. I started playing that when I was in college. But mm-hmm. I got so preoccupied with studies during seminary that I wasn't playing much. And then after graduation, I went through after of seminary. I was a, a hospital chaplain at Parkland Hospital, the infamous Parkland Hospital in Dallas, oh, yeah. where President yeah. was taken. And uh, one thing led to another. I began to play. Uh, I picked up the mandolin and started playing again. And uh, that's too long of a story to go into, but I got pretty serious about it. And in 73, I, I, in, in 1973, I met some guys that were forming a bluegrass band. And I didn't know much. I didn't really know anything about bluegrass, but they needed a mandolin player, so I, I started playing with them. And we started. We worked up a bunch of songs, and we started playing around. Got involved in the bluegrass community around North Texas, 
started playing at festivals and concerts and clubs and going really at it uh, for uh, two years at least. And then I heard a band called Love Song, who had become very well known throughout the land. They were one of the first major contemporary Christian rock bands to gain some acceptance into the traditional church world. And so I met, I went backstage. I, I was, I was so touched by the music and by the spirit of worship. Yeah. I met Chuck Gerard. And a few months later, I, I wanted to move back to LA from Texas and get involved with this music. I really felt that, that I needed to, to, to be involved with this. So I met with Chuck Gerard one afternoon. I just went to his house by invitation. And my idea was to go and just gather information. And so when I met, went in to meet Chuck, I didn't know that Love Song had disbanded a few months before. Hmm. So I walked in to get information. I walked out a member of the new Chuck Gerard band, which was <laughs> really unbelievable to me. And so I moved out within a month. Chuck had a Bible study at his house going on. He said, hey, come to my Bible study on Wednesday night. I said, okay. So I came, I met the guy that was teaching the Bible study was Ken Gullickson, who mm. was actually the founder of the Vineyard Christian Fellowship. Right. And by September, Ken invited me to join his staff. So I became part of the first staff of the first vineyard. And then the, so I, I entered into pastoral ministry. So all through the years, my life has followed two tracks. On the one hand, pastoral, on the other hand, music. And I've been involved in, I played with the Chuck Gerard Band for five years, and then I was always involved in worship music, contemporary worship. I was doing sessions here and there, special events, and that's kind of the way that's been going ever since. Hmm. I haven't, the last pastoral position I held was uh, in 2005 in Malibu. And then after that, I've just been focusing on playing music and uh, uh, spending a lot of time with worship leaders, worship musicians, because I'm I'm the old guy on stage. But yep. I've had the opportunity of kind of being able to mentor and spend time and encourage a lot of the younger uh, musicians. By younger, I mean most of them are in their 40s now and uh, <laughs> so forth. So. And yeah, I'm really honored to be able to still be involved and still be accepted uh, among them playing mostly mandolin, violin, and cello these days. Okay, okay. Um, uh, who are some of the people over the years you've played with? With uh, you know, I don't know. Don't I hate to throw around names, but I'd love to hear any any names of people we might recognize yeah. well Chuck Gerard of course and then um, probably the, the two most well well three pretty well known people uh, Johnny Rivers I recorded with Johnny Rivers a long time oh, cool. ago I uh, Greg Lake from Emerson Lake and Palmer I did a big show with him uh, in LA they KLOS was a rock station down here yes and every year they would do a, a big concert uh, as a gift to all of their listeners. So 
they had about 30,000 people show up at this park. And so I, I played with Greg Lake. Uh, and on the, on the bill that day were Stephen Stills and Dave Mason. Wow. And it was a pretty exciting afternoon. <laughs> and then yeah. the most well, most well-known guy that I've, that I recorded with was Bob Dylan. Uh-huh. And uh, I got to be involved through a whole series of events, was involved with him when, as he was on his journey of becoming a follower of Jesus and was very, very closely involved with that. Mm. And then uh, ended up spending quite a lot of time with him, encouraging him, uh, and then did that one recording session with him in 2004. No, it was not 2000. It was uh, 1985. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, another another guy we had on. We had a worship team led by Tommy Funderburk, who was one of the A-list session singers in town during the late 70s and 80s, sang with almost all of the major rock singers and bands. And he put together in our vineyard. Christian Fellowship. Ken and I moved over to West LA in 1979, and Tommy formed a band with uh, myself and T Bone Burnett, who was really famous. Oh yeah, who's become famous. Yeah. And uh, Stephen Coles, David Mansfield, David Miner, and it was an extraordinary year. Following that, we had a band with with uh, Bernie Ledden uh, from the Eagles. And so, you know, that's just some of the folks I've had the opportunity and privilege of playing with. Yeah, yeah. How nice. And, uh, you know, not all these people are Christians. Um, and probably not all your situations were, were uh, you know, with Christians. <clears throat> and that's, uh, that's fantastic. I. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I can't believe you had that opportunity. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, Rivers was following the Lord at that time. I have, I haven't been in touch with him for ages. Uh-huh. Uh, Dylan uh, came to the Lord, and I believe is still right. walking with the Lord. Bernie mm-hmm. Lynn had come to the Lord. Uh, Greg Lake was on the journey, but I don't know if he ever crossed over the line before he died. So I don't know hmm. about that one. Huh. But we got a chance to talk to him a lot about it and uh, encourage him as much as we could. Oh, that's that's so super. Wait, have you got any any <laughs> any stories you'd like to tell us from that period of time? Any of those uh, any of those people that I don't know? There's got to be one or two really great stories in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of good stories. I don't know. I, I think we're going to be running out of time here, for, but, but uh, maybe you're going to have to have me back for another session. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I had before we before we started our our recording of this conversation. We I started to talk about a a pretty amazing experience. Bob Dylan was getting ready to record his first so-called Christian album called Slow Train Coming. Mm-hmm. And the producer of that record was a very famous uh, uh, R&B producer, Jerry Wexler. And he told Bob to go hear a new guitar player that was going to be coming into town to play with his band at the Roxy 
which was a famous club on the Sunset Strip. Uh-huh. And so Bob asked if I wanted to go with him. And I said, heck, sure, I'd love to go with you. As I, and I didn't get to do that very often with him. And so we went over to the Roxy to hear this band, and the guitar player was uh, the, the guitar player from Dire Straits. Um, oh, his name Mark? Is, Mark Knopfler? Mark Knopfler. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so we heard that show. That was, that was their first time, Dire Straits' first time to play in Hollywood. And wow. so on the, there's a little club attached to the club to rock to to the Roxy. It's called On the Rocks, and it's a very VIP kind of a scene. Uh, and even while I was sitting there with Bob in the audience, uh, uh, oh gosh, these names. Bonnie Raitt came by to see uh-huh. touch base with Bob Sam and a couple of other people. So. One of them said, hey, are you going to come to the club afterwards? And I said, well, and, and Bob said, hey, you want to go up there? I said, sure, let's go up there. So after the show, we went upstairs, and it was just kind of a long, narrow bar situation. Maybe 15 or 20 people was all that were up there, but it included Linda Ronstadt was, was dating Jerry Brown at the time. They were sitting at the bar. Uh, Dave Mason was one of my fave singers was there. Bonnie Raitt was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dylan was then meeting, having a little conversation with Mark Knopfler. And uh, I, I kind of started out right in the middle of it. And I thought, hey, I, I don't think I belong in this conversation. I'm going to back <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> so I just backed away and they continued their conversation. And then up, bound, up the stairs came uh, Joni Mitchell. And uh, she came right to Bob and started giving him a hard time about his his faith in Christ. Oh, interesting. And, uh, huh. He was pretty serious about challenging hmm. about this, but he didn't he he didn't hesitate. He came right back at her, uh, and and they had quite an interesting conversation there for a few minutes. But wow. it was kind of a kind of a amazing experience to be part of and to watch oh, I bet. Right in front. yeah well now you were involved with uh, uh, am I am I right about this with uh, basically doing some discipling uh, of Bob Dylan how, how, you know t- taking him through some classes and stuff like that yeah I was actually we met him uh, it's too long of a story to talk about how we actually met uh in the cover that initial conversation i had with him at his request i must say and we had a very in conversation about the bible and about jesus and who he was who he claimed to be and uh subsequent to that he made a very strong a uh, clear profession of faith this you know just professing his is yeah. faith in Christ. And then within another couple of weeks, two or three weeks, we were about to start a school of discipleship, which we've had, we had several of those over the, over those years. And uh, that would take place uh, in our offices lasted about a month. No, it lasted about a, a semester. And so okay. uh, Bob was invited to the, come to that. 
and he and his girlfriend came and uh, came five days a week, four hours a day. Wow. And a lot of very intensive Bible teaching and disciple teaching. And uh, uh, there were four of us teaching uh, hmm. basically kind of mostly, most certainly through the New Testament and just other odds and ends of important teaching. And it was out of that, from that, Toward the end of that, I became aware that he was starting to write songs, starting to write these songs. And there only one time did I meet with him when he said, hey, listen to this. What do you think of this song? And so I listened to it, and I, what am I going to say? It was, a, it was an amazing song. And I said, <laughs> this is great. This is great, man. And so then the summer goes on, and he starts recording this first album, Slow Train Coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we talked about, I talked to him about just, and we, we really had to protect him as much as we could from, we yeah. were overwhelmed with requests and almost demands from the Christian world to have interviews with him. Mm-hmm. And we did, mm-hmm. we made it clear that he had no obligation to speak with any anybody that he didn't want to speak with. And he didn't have any obligation to speak to the Christian world per se, magazines, TV shows, and all of that. And you know, I always, I just, I told him, you know, you've, you've always let your music speak for you, and you know, that's all you need to do. You don't have to preach. You don't have to, to do anything yep. that you need or want to do. Of course, you're free to do anything you want to do. But <laughs> and so we really try to encourage him along those lines, and and. Uh, and it seemed to he seemed to understand that. Yeah. So yeah, he got some very serious discipling during those first few months. That's great. Wow. What an experience that must have been for you to be a to be a part of that. Um, it was a tremendous experience, John, and. It, it, because of the way we met, because it was at his invitation, yeah. it was kind of a Bob and Larry uh, situation where I I, I didn't I, I had to look at him differently than Bob Dylan, the legend. Yeah, I, I, somebody gave me a, a biography early on of Bob Dylan and I started reading about, I got about 15 pages in and I thought, I've got to stop. This is beginning to mess with my head. And mm. so I just closed it. And then from then on, I, 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 I thought of just, I'm, I'm just meeting with this man, this incredibly gifted man, uh, Bob. I, mm-hmm. I felt, I felt it was necessary, you know, that it was important that I give him every bit of honor that was due him. Here's a man that had met with everybody, you know, everybody, every important artist and politician that ever wanted to meet with him. And, right. and so, uh, uh, so it was important to give him that honor and recognition that yeah. he deserved at the same time to be able to talk with him and relate to him as normally as possible and to be as, yeah. as normal human as, as a, as a as a friend and as a person as I would be, and I think we were pretty pretty successful at that. And, and was he? Did he accept that? Was was he a, 
Did he have a normal <laughs> person part of him? <laughs> uh, he did, actually. Uh, yeah. You know, he, he did and does. And uh, it, so it's got to be a peculiar thing for people like him who are so famous and so yes. influential. And and yet they know they know themselves. They you know they know who they are when they're alone, when they're mm-hmm. with their family, mm-hmm. and you know they kind of lay that big persona aside and just be who they are. Uh, yeah. And so and it's true for all of all of them, whether they're politicians or musicians or artists or what have you. Yeah. Did he? Um... Uh, was he really faithful with that study? I mean, four hours a day, did he stick to it the whole way? He stuck. He was there every day. And stayed, you know, was there the whole time, every every single day. Wow. And and all the way through the the whole process. And I think, you know, there were about 15 students altogether. Yeah. I think the first few days, everybody was a little awkward. They didn't know, you know, quite how to, handle it but everybody settled down and and I think he settled down and I think he was able to relax and enjoy that time and along with everybody else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I bet you got into plenty of discussions and and back and forth and a lot, yeah. a lot of discussions yeah. Back and forth. yeah well that's great that's great yeah I I got to hear one of one of one of his first concerts after that first album, and uh, you probably know that it was in San Francisco, and uh, he did he did about two weeks at a small venue there, and uh, uh, I was I was there for almost every night. I was with him backstage. Did you did you play in the band? I was not playing in the band. He had an all star uh-huh. band. Yeah, uh, but I was there as kind of a confidant and a friend, and Good. just to uh, just to support him. Yeah, those were some oh, of the most man. amazing concerts I have had or have ever experienced or witnessed. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was so glad I got to see one of them. Uh, but boy, you know, he only sang his new songs. He just stuck to that. He refused. Yeah. To- he refused to do anything, and they were all crying out for lay, lady, lay, and this and that. And yes. He just, yes. Boy, he just barreled right through what he wanted to do and never never looked back. And uh, he got some booze at the beginning, and uh, uh, but I'll never forget, by the time he was done, it was, I think, the longest, the longest uh, ovation I've ever experienced at least five minutes or more uh, because he won their respect. You know, they, it was a really pretty amazing. And then he <laughs> killed me. He came, you remember what he, I don't know. He did this every night, but he came out after that invasion and sat, sat on the piano and sang, uh, pressing on to the higher calling of my Lord. Oh my gosh! I, I was just God, me killed I was, Oh God! I was just you know in a pool of tears. I tell you, I know, uh, I know. 
Well, mm-hmm. you know, it was he that was kind of that wasn't his first controversial experience. You remember when he first That's right. at the Newport Folk Festival, right. Right. he he showed up and with an electric guitar, which was the most sacrilegious right. thing anybody could do for that group of people, right. and started playing an electric guitar. And I've heard that Pete Seeger was so enraged that <laughs> he actually cut his cable. He he cut the guitar cable and uh, wouldn't let him continue on. So, so oh, you yeah. know, he, he kind of thrives on that kind of uh, yeah. challenge. He just leaps into it and yeah. just he does. loves to stir it up. But those, well. I mean, those concerts were just so amazing and, and wonderful, and the songs were spectacular. All of those songs right. were so powerful and right. covered so many different topics and yeah. subjects. Yeah. And that's what pressing on is uh oh yeah. Still every time I hear it I am so moved by it and so personally deeply encouraged by it. Yes. Yeah. Well Well the Holy Spirit has some had some fun with that one. That's all that's all I have to say. And uh <laughs> amazing that 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 all that happened, and here we are, you know, we're trying to take some of those moments from the Jesus movement and bring them forward. That's really what we're trying to do here. Um, we're not trying to go back and just reminisce, you know, and and just for old time's sake. Uh, we're really committed to try and reach the younger generation and have found that in many cases... Uh, a lot of the millennials and younger um, like the Jesus m- movement music. They whatever they hear or are exposed to, they find it really authentic and real. And uh, that's exactly uh, right. Those words are really the important words: yeah. authentic, real. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you know that I was I was thinking about that. The, the idea that we used to do those concerts and because Calvary Chapel was so successful uh, yeah. at it, ha- you know, having those Saturday night concerts, it became kind of a standard approach of evangelism for so many of the new Jesus people churches that were birthed during that time right. and became a kind of a standard platform and, an, and became a place where Christian musicians could perform their music and minister through their music. And then the music, you know, one thing led to another and the music, the the focus on worship began to grow. And a lot of those writers began to focus on writing worship music. And then that became more commercial. Yes. Uh, I mean, just the, the fact is, and the, the source of money and income kind of moved away from contemporary Christian music per se, CCM as we used to call it, right? To worship. Yeah. And I, you know, it's an old, uh, it's a kind of an old wineskin and one and some. I mean, the the, the mm-hmm. concert idea. And yet, 
it's I think it's still a viable approach. It still could be done and in in a similar way that it was done back in those days where it's not I mean now they have nights of worship and they'll do them on Saturday night or Friday night or some night of the week. And some of them are huge. Several thousand people coming to those nights of wow. worship. Which is it's fine and some of them are very powerful and I think some of them are very worshipful. Yeah. But I think there's also a place, a potential place for some of these more evangelistic oriented kind of, yes. uh gathering. Yes. The problem yeah. that I've experienced, you know, one of the band, bands as well yeah, one of the bands I play with is is an old band called Brush Arbor. Oh yeah. And we kind of do that. The music that Jim Rice wrote is a lot of it is kind of evangelistic. And mm-hmm. uh and so we're we're still doing what we did all those decades ago. The right. thing is is that especially in in smaller venues and there are a few venues around the Christian community doesn't seem to be willing to pay any money for it. They, you know, a, a mutual friend of ours had uh, opened up a coffee house, a Christian coffee house down there in Mission Viejo, and I think he's still operating it. But he he brought back a lot of those well-known people from the past, Joan yeah. Hill and the Love yeah. Song and uh, Barry McGuire. And, you know, the right. list goes on and on and on. But people were reluctant to really pay much money to go see these people and uh, or even give offerings. And it financially, it was very hard for our friend to to continue to do this because yeah. he was putting out a lot of money to bring people in, fly them in, and put them up and feed them and so forth. Well, would you so say – yeah, would you say, Larry, that – that they might be willing, more willing to pay money for a big, full-blown worship experience, quote, you know, with with the big music and the lights and the whole thing. Is that, I, I is don't that know. what happened? I don't know. Okay. Maybe. I think on some of those big situations, yeah, I mean, those big worship concerts, Costs a lot of money to put on. Yeah, oh, a, those are big. Yeah, yeah. And but, but I don't. I always, about, yeah, I always wonder about that. You know, who's who's it for? You know, is and we yeah. spending all this money on ourselves just to have this magnificent experience? You know, it. Uh, well, the, I don't the, know. The, I, the good part of it, maybe the the only good part of it, is for the the high school kids and the young college students who are are you know who are really determined to walk with the lord but find it yeah very difficult yeah. in our culture and so to be able to go to a big event like that with several thousand people like them and hear yeah. this music that's really yeah. exciting and very inspiring i think it's it it it's worth it for them yeah, uh, to kind of give them a shot in the arm and an encouragement to let them know they're not they're not alone. Mm-hmm. 
uh, as followers yeah. of Christ. That there are so many other people. That okay. Well, Larry, we are. Our time is going to get cut off here in about a minute. So, um, this was so much fun. I'll have to have you back because this is what I. This is what we were originally going to talk about. We got into some other things that were so fascinating. So, thank you very much. <laughs> we'll have you back, and we'll talk about, uh, you know, worship music versus some of the more evangelistic music that we wrote years ago and and see where all this is going. So uh, that would be great. Larry, thank you so much for spending some time with me this evening. And uh, uh, and we definitely will. We'll have you back. God bless. John, thank you so much. I'd love to join you anytime. Thank you, man. Okay. Good to Beautiful. be with you. Great. Bye-bye now. Bye. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. There you go. There you have it, folks. That was fun. Tell your friends about this one. We'll do it again. Lots to pick up here. We'll see you next week. We'll have Larry back sometime in the near future. God bless you. Keep the faith. No, give it away. God bless.